0: Exploring the natural world one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa of The Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment that we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This week, I am honored to be joined by Sean Francis, a fellow natural science geek, and we're going to spend some time just nerding out, geeking out about the ocean and marine environments, as well as going into some detail with why we think all people, landlocked or coastal, should absolutely go bonkers for the ocean. So, with that, Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, As Marissa said, I am Sean Francis. I am a graduate from James Madison University with a background in biology and mathematics. Currently, I am a manufacturer of vaccines, not COVID, but a lot of the other ones that are very important for us, and also a certified diver.
0: A certified diver. So, I mean, right there, you've got a whole bunch of science background with your vaccine creation, but the thing that captures my attention right now is that whole diving aspect. Of course. Um,
1: it's you- fun. Let me just first say that. Diving it's is fun. phenomenal. If you want to try and get a chance to actually feel being in that ecosystem, and that environment, it's Snorkeling is great to introduce yourself to, but diving is where it's at.
0: So when you say introduce yourself with snorkeling, Mm -hmm. is that something that just your average person can do? For example, I live here in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. It takes some driving to go to any beach environment. Is that something that someone living in Idaho or, you know, anywhere can still do? Uh,
1: There are a lot of opportunities with local dive shops. Idaho, I'm not too sure with, but uh, for me, for example, um, about a 10 to 15 minute drive is a dive shop that I usually will rely on for either equipment upkeep, uh, opportunities of training and certification. Also, they have plans of trips to local areas or also more foreign places or just further locations for diving, training and fun. Well,
0: cool. So I know that you have had some diving trips that you have been on. Talk about those trips for a little bit, because I know they're fascinating.
1: Yes. Um, So with diving, I first started out with, I took a class, which was the geology and ecology of the Bahamas. And that was an introduction into the technical aspect of how islands predominantly in the Bahamas, are formed. And that led us to a week-long trip to San Salvador Island. And with snorkeling out there, we swam out to the west coast of the island. And you go from waters that can start out, of course, knee-high, but then going out to about 10, 20 feet, and then a huge drop-off into this beautiful blue abyss and I've had a few prior to that I had moderate levels of introductions to the ocean of like going out to beaches in Delaware and Maryland where I grew up but this was the first time I was like oh there is so much down here that I just want to know more and that opportunity of being in the Bahamas was as I said like this technical learning of it's not just oh here's a really cool animal or the ocean's pretty it's there's so much science and information that you can gather on how these islands form how the environments develop and different ecosystems that come within it so what leads me to that next point of it is I then spent two months in Madagascar on the southwestern coast of the island. It is a small village called Andavadok. It was two months of just crash course, learn how to identify 120 species of fish, up to 80 different types of coral. And that's where I got my diving certification. And I went from zero to 40 dives in two months. We were doing um, two to three dives a day five days a week.
0: Wow! That's a lot. You said that you had seen how many species of coral and fish?
1: It was about 120. We were trained to identify 120 fish. 120. We would see more, right. but then also we were trained in identifying about 80 different types of coral.
0: Okay. So out of the 120 fish and 80 types of coral that you had to learn to identify, do you have a favorite?
1: I do. Uh, That would be the Moorish Idol. It is, so if you remember the movie Finding Nemo. (laughs) yes, Which is also one of my favorites growing up. The Moorish Idol is the one with the other, he, he had the messed up fin just like Nemo in the fish tank.
0: Right.
1: And the reason I picked the Moorish Idol is that during my fish identification test in Madagascar, there were three of them about 15 feet away from me for the entire hour I was diving. And anywhere I went on that coral reef, those three were following me. So for me, it's just that little special reasoning of like, these guys are with me. I want to honor them and keep them memorable.
0: Yeah, you have quite a unique experience with that then. If they they followed you around and what an intriguing little... I guess interaction that people don't normally get interactions like that.
1: No, it's it was a magical moment for me of just yeah I'm sp- I've worked so hard for these those weeks to learn those fish and be able to identify them. You go out into the water and you're kind of I mean, like practice runs of like, hey, what school is that? What type of fish is this? Ooh, what's this coral? And to pass it while having this this little gang of fish kind of, like, supporting me along the way of, like, all right, I'm stressing out. All right, there's my Moorish idols. All right, we can keep going.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I I know for me, my love of the ocean kind of stems from my childhood of my parents would take me to the beach, and I would go out and jump waves with my dad. Um, My parents would take me along the beach to look at shells and kind of pick them up and compare them and understand that these were at one point living creatures that now the, their protective parts have been washed up onto the beach. And after my childhood, I was able to take some marine biology courses and do oceanography and studying the ecosystems within the ocean and learning about reefs and deep sea creatures. Is that where your love of the ocean also stemmed from or do you have like a bigger grander reason for why you love it so much? Uh,
1: very similar to you. it I grew up uh, with a lot of my summers in, uh, on the Delaware beaches so like Rehoboth Beach and also near Ocean City, Maryland and I was the same type of kid playing in the waves. I'd also be like digging in the sand, looking for the different shells, the wave breakers, like all the barnacles attached to them. Like just, it's fun swimming, but it's also fun to be like, there's other life here to look at and observe and also be respectful of like, they are living their own lives. In Kent County of Delaware, uh, my father took me to his family's farm that he grew up on. And that was a spot where horseshoe crabs would come to shore and lay eggs. And with horseshoe crabs, they've remained pretty much unchanged since forever. <laughs> and living this, fossils. Living fossils, thank you. And I was just like, I need to know more about these things. And I what stood out for me as a moment of like, I want to just spend more time learning about the ocean. Like any aquarium if I'm traveling somewhere I'm like there's an aquarium like I first person I'm in line I need to get a ticket and go Mm
0: -hmm. I think everyone should value and appreciate any sort of life here on earth but once you can understand it and you have a better idea of what it is you can appreciate things so much more than you would have ever thought you could before Mm -hmm. like I'm sure as kids we never thought that our love of the ocean would continue to extend into either our careers or our just scientific interests. Because it was just a sandy beach and there was a horseshoe crab or there was a little jellyfish.
1: Exactly. But now we've
0: learned more over time, hmm. which is just a great thing to do is to never stop learning. Exactly. So kind of going back, you had mentioned the horseshoe crab, you had mentioned the Moorish idol you have a heck of a ton of great experiences in the ocean um like i said i've never really had the experience to go diving or even to experience all the oceans like i've gone to the atlantic ocean Mm -hmm. and i've yeah i think that's about it ocean wise i've been to various seas and bays Uh before but you know and mm-hmm. except in the Indian Ocean, things like that. Right. Uh, and I can imagine that many people also haven't had that same mm-hmm. experiences going to all of the oceans or whatever. So far, my most wild, quote unquote, uh, experience with the ocean was when I was in Greece. I was in the Aegean Sea and I was swimming oh, that's and amazing. I was coming up. I, I went out into the water, mm-hmm. not a problem was to be had and went out, was swimming, really enjoying. The water there was the bluest and clearest I have ever seen, but it, apparently, it was not clear enough. Uh-huh. As I was swimming back to where we had our towel, I was kind of, you know, it gets shallow, and but it's not shallow enough yet to not be swimming. So it's like that weird, awkward,
1: doggy paddle you're
0: more like swim crawling Mm -hmm. where you can get up out of the water and then just walk up right and i saw a rock what i thought was a rock
1: Uh i grabbed
0: it to pull myself forward and lo and behold it was not a rock i was a sea urchin oh which i found out to the pain in my hand yeah and honestly my immediate thought was ouch Oh my gosh, I just broke a bristle off of a living creature. And my concern was definitely more for this poor seer that just got harassed mm-hmm. than for myself. And then, I mean, That's
1: very kind of you. I, but
0: it, yeah, but, you know, I cared about that poor little guy and I, I hurt him too. Yeah. I thought I knew I'd be fine. Um, it would be fine too,
1: it is. those. That's a defense mechanism on purpose.
0: Oh, good. Good, good. There you go.
1: So what did you do? Like, did the spines like actually go into the skin or what happened?
0: Yes. I had, because I fully grabbed the thing when I removed my hand, obviously in shock. So my reaction was very jerky and I Mm -hmm. broke some bristles and spines off. I had like three in my thumb and then a handful like dotted in my little fingers. Pulled them out very easily. They weren't barbed or anything like that. It wasn't venomous.
1: Okay, cool. It was
0: just pain (laughs) for a little bit.
1: Right. Unfortunately,
0: it was my left hand and I'm right handed. Good. So for the rest of my trip there, it didn't really impact me much. Within three days, I didn't feel it anymore. Okay. But (laughs) yeah, ocean experiences are fun. Yeah. So another more positive experience in the ocean, you know, because. We're mm-hmm. not trying to scare people away from the ocean here, no. but is also being in Greece, a different section of the Aegean Sea. So this is the portion of the sea that surrounds the temple to Poseidon. Oh! And I spent probably way too long, mind you, this was my honeymoon. that okay. we We're on, and I spent over an hour trying to catch a sunbeam fish with my hands. Yeah, because the water was so clear and they were coming up these little tiny maybe five inch white fish with a little black saddle on them trying to catch them okay, not to take out I had my hands in the water but just so I could be like let me look at your fins you're so beautiful and fortunately my husband is gracious enough and he allowed me to do this on our honeymoon (laughs) but That's about as wild or as Mm -hmm. close to truly wild as I've gotten. You have all the experiences with shells or little bits that float up on the beach, but usually those are dead or desiccated, Mm -hmm. dried out creatures. They're not living yet or still, I guess, Right. um, or going to an aquarium, but they're not wild at this point. So for you, you've done all these amazing trips. Do you have, I mean, obviously, you've already shared some great memories mm-hmm. with me, but do you have any memories of things that really stand out to you, of you engaging, like you did with the Moorish Idol, of this wild animal? Do you have anything else like
1: that? I do. Um, so for context, the, I was on Madagascar for two months. I was working with the program Blue Ventures. And that program focuses on ecology and conservation and also social programs for communities that live around the coast. So there are three programs located, one in Belize, one is located in East Timor, and then the other one was Madagascar. And the tribe that I was living with were known as the Vesu tribe they are, that name actually translates to the people who fish. Their entire subsistent diet is on the ocean. Every day they will go out on their uh, canoes with an outrigger and sail about five kilometers a day to catch fish for their daily food source. And with globalization and industrial fishing, there were more and more fish are being taken out of the ocean, then the, the ocean can replenish its stock. And the Vesu people noticed that they were like, that they were not getting as many fish as they could catch or they were having to go further out into the waters. And Blue Ventures has been working with them to establish no-take zones. So there's these large swaths of coral reefs that are marked off to say, no one is allowed in here. This is now a zone for fish to hide and protect, grow and develop. And the idea behind that is that as f- more fish develop and get bigger in there, there becomes a little more competition. And it's like, I can't be in this same space anymore. I'm now gonna venture out of this reserve where the Vesu people can also fish. So they don't have to be in that reserve to get the fish that they need. They can be around it. So the focus of Blue Ventures while I was there was to measure the biodiversity within the coral reef, around the coral reef, and then measuring distances away from it to show what are the benefits of saying here's where fish can grow safely and undisturbed. As I said with the a crash course really of two weeks of identify this number of fish, this number of coral, you now have, you now know how to dive. I went and so you have that that education program, you're learning how to not only breathe underwater, you're also learning to not disturb the environment, you're learning how to identify and tabulate all these bits of information. And the memorable moment for me that stands out in my dive. So besides my Moorish idols, the three that followed me around on my uh, fishing test, this dive was I passed my tests. I'm working with two other dive buddies. One is identifying coral. One is identifying fish. We lay out a, a tape measure overlaying the coral and then we leave it either just undisturbed for a few minutes, so that our fish person, our person calculating the fish numbers, can identify. And then we have the coral person float over, basically horizontal to the coral reef. And then every few unit of measurement that we took, I couldn't remember, um, we would then identify. All right, here is a table coral. Here is a bubble coral, which are amazing, by the way. Literally, imagine bubble wrap. Don't pop these because they're actual polyps, but they just had this beautiful texture of little vacuoles of air. They weren't air, but it was was little bags of jelly, basically. So on this specific dive, I was the one laying up the, the yardsticks, and as I'm floating over, I'm about to secure the end, and I feel the sense I'm being watched. My two other dive buddies are... 25 meters away. I'm at the end kind of by myself and I'm, I know I'm being observed. I look around and I see a, um, a blue spotted stingray swim by me and those were ones that we hadn't actually been trained to identify. I knew what it was and it wasn't when we were tabulating. I was like okay that's something rare I've never seen before.
0: Right.
1: And so I'm like all right I feel a little better let's just set the hook down. I laid around um, a piece of rock And again, that feeling I'm being watched. And I just, I'm parallel to the ground and I look straight ahead of me. And there in this crevice of the coral is a red eye just looking out. And it was an octopus. Just watching. And I don't know if it was like 30 seconds. Could and for me it felt like I could have been down there for a half hour. I was so happy just staying still. I you learn this buoyancy control to just kind of like float and i'm watching this octopus and it's watching me and part of me wanted to be like i need to go back to the surface get a tank of air and come back down and just watch this and it's like this dark red it kind of turned a little lighter in the red color it was just it didn't move at all it was just like i don't know who you are but i'm gonna keep an eye on you get
0: on. <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh my gosh
1: and as it's watching me a few minutes later what feels like minutes its skin blanches and it becomes very like pointy and sharp like uh, the actual coral reef that it was hiding in I was like something's off I don't know what's happening it's not me I've been here for a few minutes it should be normal or, uh, acclimated if it was going to
0: freak out it would have done so already
1: exactly and it was one of my dive buddies coming up to show me something. And I tried to write to him. I was like, hey, look, there's an octopus. So like I said, like I really want to be like, hey, go up and get me another tank of air. I'll switch it. I just want to be here. I will watch this animal. And so he pulls me away. That alone was just that moment of like, it's not just we are the observers of the world. We're not the ones living in our own little world and everything else around us is just events occurring. It's, there's other life living in this world. And an octopus, which is incredibly different from us and has a different type of brain from us, was looking at me as if another person was watching me.
0: It was observing you right back, making yeah. its own conclusions, analyzing mm-hmm. Yes. And there is so much more to the world. There's just so much more to the ocean and experiencing yes. that. Wow. Yeah,
1: that that's a memory that sticks with me.
0: It's a good memory. Mm-hmm. I would hope that that one sticks with you for the rest of your life. So, moral of the story here. We both really love the ocean. Yes. We have had different experiences with it which we're both very fortunate still to have had those experiences, whether I think mine are very small in comparison to yours. I still am very fortunate to have had those to begin with. I know not every school, university, wherever has marine biology courses, or not everybody has the ability to take a long weekend to go to the shore. For people who are landlocked, who haven't had that experience with the ocean who maybe have never seen it before whether they've just never had the desire to or never had the opportunity to what to you just one reason and i know that there's so many out there there are a lot what is the biggest reason that you think every single person on this planet should love the ocean
1: it is hard and to put it simple, it's, it's where we come from. There is a, a biological reaction when you go to the ocean that your mind relaxes. Mm-hmm. You have the sand, you have the shore, you have the ocean, and you have the sky. You have a very uniform sound of the waves rolling or the wind blowing in your ears your brain actually can quiet down. It's not processing all the information that we have when we're like in a city. We don't hear the strum of the cars or the people talking or the sounds and smells that are all going around us. The ocean simplifies that. Mm -hmm. And that sense of peace is phenomenal. And when you look out at the ocean, you see that flat surface, what appears flat. And then when you go into that water and you see how much life large as the whales, small as the algae, and the microscopic organisms that live there, you see that there's so much more to it. It's not just a stagnant surface. There is a connection that we have with it. In so much as about 80% of the world's population lives within 60 miles of the coastline of the oceans, lakes, or rivers. Our society and culture is built on bodies of water. Like, you think of the San Francisco Bay, the Potomac, think of Tampa Bay or Puget Sound. A lot of us all cluster by the oceans. Mm-hmm. And that's where we as a people and we as our culture comes from. And it's it's difficult to put into words. It's It's simultaneously like scientific. And then also emotional. And like, you're just like, yeah, that's home. There was a speech uh, that um, President Kennedy gave back in 1962. And this quote really has stuck with me. Especially like, it was like right after my trip to the Bahamas, where I was like, why do I love the ocean so much? And his quote is, we are tied to the ocean. And when we go back to the sea, whether it is to sail or to watch it, we are going back from whence we came. That's that's the longer version of why you should like the ocean, why it's so beautiful. And any opportunity you can to go out, whether it's the ocean, whether it's a river or a lake, like it's just, that's home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely agree that that is, there's a a time as soon as I walk onto the beach where I just look out and I take a deep breath and I can, (sighs) I can feel a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety just go away and it's not just, okay, I'm on vacation now. No, there's something. About that push and pull of the waves that draws you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that pull, pulls you back.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it is an incredible place to be.
0: Very much so. It is, I as someone who has been landlocked all my life, it is one of the most incredible places, just anywhere along the coast and the ocean, mm-hmm. just, again, driving your point home of this is home. Yeah. You can feel it.
1: Yeah, mm. now you're making me want to go dive again <laughs> it's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a little bit of time since i've gone i'm very overdue and it's thankfully with covid kind of unlocking us a little bit it's it was like around it was right before march 2020 i was looking at get, taking a trip over to australia and then they're like no traveling
0: <laughs> uh, not the best time to be looking into that
1: <laughs> nope 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 Hopefully with things opening up again, I can schedule something.
0: So I have one final question here for you. Oh boy. And it kind of takes you back to how you had mentioned, okay, you being with the people whose lives revolve around the ocean, they are right up on the ocean. It's not like they are landlocked, but from an ecology standpoint, Everything on this planet is very interconnected and what we do here on land impacts the octopus that you saw impacts the whales in the deep sea that we don't even know of all that life is impacted by actions taken here on land. Whether mm-hmm. it's due to polluted runoff or just personal action, single use plastics, things like that. So can you talk just a little bit about maybe some things that people can do or actions that they can take to protect ocean ecosystems, even if they're not next to the ocean?
1: Individual, that's, that's the tough part, is that our individual impacts, yeah, is very important. We can definitely reduce our intake of plastics. We can definitely try to be more mindful of what type of materials we're throwing away, how much water do we consume, it's, global warming had, for me, became more prominent late 1990s, early 2000s, that was like kind of the time where we had that film, the, uh, film The Day After Tomorrow, and it was that big scare of like, oh, things are going to be horrible very soon, and then things kind of weren't, and a big discussion that really got into the woods about it was if it's global warming, why isn't the earth getting as warm as we thought? So in 2016, there was a paper that came out that was discussing this essential global mean surface temperature hiatus. Later on, they talk about retooling it because it's not so much a hiatus. It was more of like just this pause. And the, com- the complex answer to it was that the ocean is a huge, huge heat sink. It took in so much more heat in comparison to what the atmosphere does and what the land does. And that kind of, at least allowed we'll a little bit of explanation as to why we weren't seeing as much heat as like back in like late nineties, we were hearing like, oh, the earth, earth is gonna boil alive. It's like, we're now kind of getting to that point. But it's the tough part I've heard from, from scientists that I have met is that the individual actions are good. Yes, it's very good. It's also important for corporations to stop doing what they're doing. right? And that takes a lot longer and a lot more energy from us to push them. And that's getting the government to say, hey, we need to really clamp down on this. We need to not just have a target of 2030 where we're gonna not have CO2 emissions be as much as they are. It's like, we kind of need to start now. And- We
0: needed to start a while ago, technically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we did. So recently a paper had come out from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They have just moved up their 30 year average calculation of our global mean surface temperature. So we went from 1980 to 2010, we're now 1990 to 2020. And the last 30 years, we're just super warm. And in comparison to the last century, everywhere in America is warmer than what it was. And that ocean heat sink is kind of reaching full capacity. And now, more heat is affecting us and individual decisions, when we all do it, lead to a huge impact. So yes.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not one person being really great at everything. It's Mm -hmm. the masses, all of everybody pitching in and doing what they can and that can lead to some really big change. And definitely, corporations, as consumers, we have a big voice, and as voters, we also have a big say in who is going to get elected based on what sort of policies we want to see put into play. Mm -hmm. And so really being conscientious about that and then telling our policymakers and local, state, federal governments, hey, Here's our expectations. This is the planet we live on. We need to have a respect for it. We need to have a great thought put into this because there's no people to govern if there's no planet.
1: Correct. And yeah, main thing is continue being informed. Vote and vote with your wallet because that's the biggest impact we have.
0: For what it's Earth... Even if you are landlocked, have never seen the ocean before, there are still so many great reasons to love marine ecosystems of our planet and ways that everyone can take a part in caring and protecting our natural resources. So, with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with me, Marissa Jacobs of the Art of Ecology, and with Sean Francis. Sean, before we go, is there anything that you would like to plug or tell people some little information about?
1: Uh, Yes. Firstly, thank you, Marissa, for having me. It's always wonderful to chat with you. One thing I'd like to plug is this organization called Skype Scientist. In line with us staying informed and up to date with what's going on in the world, uh, Skype Scientist is led by the wonderful squid biologist Sarah McEnulty. But Skype a Scientist, um, its program is focused on connecting scientists with teachers, classrooms and groups and helps lift that veil of science is over here doing its own mystical thing. No one really understands and brings it to everyone to understand, hey, why does this thing do the thing it does? Why are you studying it? Why is it important? And the more we learn from those people who are dedicating their lives to it, the better off we all are, I feel.
0: Excellent. And I will put some more information and a link to Skype a Scientist in the description of this podcast so that people can find out more information about it as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Sean. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along for more explorations of the wonderful ecosystems that we are a part of. For What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, check out my blog at www.theartofecology.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I'll see you next time on For What It's Earth.